0: Well, I look up when I'm talking. Yeah, that's okay. Um, so it should say recording your side? Yes. Fantastic. Santos, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for taking the time. I really appreciate it.
1: Thank you for having me on. I'm excited to talk to you. Yeah.
0: Where, <laughs> whereabouts are you phoning in from?
1: So I am in San Diego, which is in California in the Lovely. United States, um, right uh At the south of San Diego. So I'm in actually a a city called Chula Vista, right on the border with Mexico. Do
0: you have good food?
1: Oh, absolutely.
0: Amazing. (laughs) Amazing. That sounds great. And quite possibly the most important uh, question uh, for our interview. What's your coffee order when I can finally?
1: Well, uh, I'll admit I'm super boring, plain, simple, uh, dark roast, black coffee, no cream, no sugar, piping hot. That's all I need.
0: So cream in coffee—that's a thing.
1: Oh my gosh! I forgot. <laughs> Not everybody does that.
0: <laughs> yeah, like are we talking uh, full cream cream? Are we talking full cream milk? You, yeah, is that nope. an American thing? What's what's going on? It there? is
1: totally an American thing. So the non-dairy creamers is what a lot of people put in their in their coffee, um, and they have all these fancy flavors. I think it's just sugar. Uh, that they pour in their coffee, in addition to the sugar they already put in their coffee. so i I just take it black. I yeah. love the taste of coffee, so
0: <laughs> we we had a um uh, we had a Starbucks open pretty recently in Australia, and we're not quite sure what to do with it. Um, <laughs> there's sort of too many too many options and 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 everything's quite large, so you get a large coffee yes. the size of a a bucket, and we yes. we're not really sure what to do with it um uh, but uh yeah so it's good to see that they that there's varieties uh, in what you can order in coffee we're just straightforward black white milk that's it nothing too yeah
1: how do you take your coffee
0: that's a really good question um so um do you have hipsters in america
1: yes we do yeah
0: so the the hipster culture in australia is is um alive and well there's a lot of distressed wood um (laughs) uh, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but it's small strong coffees so I tend to take uh what we call a um a strong flat white which is essentially a latte I don't know the difference between oh. a flat white or a latte and oh. it's just two shots um I'm trying to get onto the um sort of the almond milk because oh right I just can't do it like how about oat milk yeah I'm gonna try that my wife's trying to get me on a bit of a a health kick but um yeah I'll try Look, the <laughs> coffee culture in Australia is especially Sydney is is insane um, is it yeah it's quite it's quite the addiction uh but uh hmm, on uh on that trail of buckets mm-hmm. uh what is something <laughs> on your bucket list that you are still yet to tick off
1: oh you know I always say I want to write a book right I, that's always the first thing I say um, and then I regret it because then I'm like, now I have to write a book, <laughs> but, but yeah, that would, that would be a dream of mine. I, I write all the time. I just don't publish anything, you know, because I'm a ideator. So I always have things floating in my brain. Um, but yeah, that's definitely on my bucket list.
0: For so sure. why, what is it about writing a book that is appealing and, uh, why haven't you done that yet?
1: So the reason it's appealing is I read incessantly. I'm obsessed with books. Um, And so I've had a love affair with books since I was a kid. I just really get lost in books. So I guess people that I admire are authors and their ability to put into a cohesive (laughs) um, storyline or or outline um, their ideas and bring things to life, I think is just so fascinating. Why I haven't done it um time <laughs> no yeah. you you'd be surprised it's not the time i'll be honest i yeah. just think i have so many interests it's hard for me to believe right. that i can dive deeply into one you know
0: i i really struggle with that as well because um in uh, our space um in mm-hmm. education there are so many things and i think to be um interested for that sustained amount of time that it would take mm-hmm. to write a book i find really challenging because what if I get a year into it and I'm bored like yes I I find that really difficult and on that is there a book that you have um that you have read that has really made you reconsider things it could be within your sphere in education or it could be um more broader than that
1: um you know the last book that I, I I like I said I read all the time but the last book that I think just really shook my foundations in a way that had an impact in what I do was, Mm. um, the boy who was raised as a dog and by Dr. Bruce Perry. Yes. That book. Have you read that?
0: I haven't. And the reason why I gasped is because, um, my principal who's wonderful gave all her executive team a copy of that book Mm
1: -hmm. and it's still
0: in my boot. And I promised her I'd read it before I go back. So I need to
1: get, you won't regret it. You won't, yeah. oh gosh, you won't regret it. Oh my gosh! What
0: it, about trauma-informed practice? Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yes. Yes. You you won't regret it. It's difficult to read because the, um, you know what it's about is difficult, yeah. but the way it really allows you to understand. How you what happens to the a child's brain when they experience trauma and how they that may manifest in school? I mean, it just changed everything about how I led my school I wow. mean everything that's wow. been like ten years or something ago that I read it, but yeah,
0: wow, and you're still talking about it
1: mm-hmm.
0: amazing. Is there something that you have uh recently changed your mind about
1: recently oh it
0: could, me see it. well recently could be. Let's, let's say sort of 10 years that's pretty recent yeah
1: okay oh holy smokes you know what I'm sure there's something
0: yeah we can come um back.
1: okay yeah because I'm I'm drawing a blank on that I'm sure there's okay
0: something. that's all right so um for those people that are not familiar with your work um mm-hmm. what was your upbringing like and how did you uh get to where you are currently in in, in education in the position that you're in
1: yeah so um I mean, I grew up in uh, Los Angeles, so that, that won't mean anything to people in, in, in Australia. But, um, you know, I grew up in Los Angeles, uh, a pretty big city in California. And it. Uh, I grew up in a poor area, and it was all Latinos in that area, almost 100% like Mexicans there, Mexican-Americans and Mexicans. Um, and that really informed everything about, obviously, about my life and what I wanted to do. Um, There was a lot of gang violence and drugs, um, you know, that I wanted to get away from, (laughs) you know, although there was also a lot of joy and beauty and and everything else, the full spectrum of, you know, life experience. Um, But I committed very early, probably in sixth grade, I remember going, okay, I don't want to spend my life here. So I have to get into college. And what do I need to do to get into college is get great grades. So I turned myself around, wow. um, and really focused on school and, and, you know, got straight A's and got into college. And I really wanted to do something that impacted students just like me. Right. So that's why I went into education because for me, I felt like education was a pathway out of poverty and I wanted to replicate that for lots of other children that looked like me or grew up like me. So,
0: yeah. Wow.
1: Yeah.
0: I mean, that would have taken a a fair bit of um, determination and perseverance for someone in sixth grade, which my understanding is you're sort of 11 or 12 about that time Mm -hmm. to be Mm -hmm. able to make a decision and say, you know what, I'm going to do this because I need to, respectfully uh, better my circumstances or education is a is a way forward for me I don't know that many uh students in sixth grade that have that amount of foresight um
1: mm-hmm.
0: were you a, a, a particularly determined child uh were you <laughs> education something that was um discussed at your dinner table uh yeah well I mean how where do you think that came from
1: so you know I I think about this a lot because I always wonder how did I get here? You know, lots of my... people
0: wouldn't. There'd be plenty of people, and it's not just in your your circumstance. I mean, there are. Uh, there's inequality. Um, it, it comes in many different forms, but I think there'd be many people that would want to do something, but who mm-hmm. uh, caught within that system. So, yeah. What? Sorry to interrupt, but what do you think it no, is no, no. about you uh, in particular?
1: Um, <clears throat> I would say I, I've been lucky in many, many ways. So. My parents grew up in Mexico, very, very, very dirt poor, you know, and they came here as immigrants and they worked their butts off, you know, um, very hardworking people, um, and they bought us every book they could get their hands on. So our, our, my house was full of books, and I put, I I read everything, everything. I went to the library all the time. Anyway, so education was important. But I don't remember them ever discussing it with me. Like, you have to go to college. You have to do this. Um, I just know that school was important, you know. And my dad, um, you know, when I was very little, maybe three or four, went to community college and got an AA degree uh, to be a refrigerator and air conditioner, an AC tech, right, to fix and install air conditioners um and so i think that seeped into my consciousness somehow seeing him with big textbooks and studying um i don't think i have any real memories of that okay. but i remember like using his huge textbooks to stack on top of each other so i could reach something that was out of reach i do remember that wow. um so there it must have just been something that i took in and to answer your earlier question about what me, me specifically, like, I am a very stubborn person, I think, or not stubborn, but like, if I'm underestimated, it just riles me up. And yeah. I think I had a little bit of that, that drove me and sustained me. And I just had a very clear, like, vision, this is what I want my life to be. And I need to make it happen. You yeah.
0: Know? And um, on that, um, and thank you so much for your honesty. I find this fascinating um (laughs) what what's something that you're most grateful um for from your parents is it that work ethic is it that ability to constantly want to better yourself or what what is it that you are particularly grateful for from your parents
1: you know what I love I, I was just telling my husband about this uh I think to yesterday or today my parents were very much not controlling, meaning they weren't overprotective. They didn't like constantly hover over us. And what I think, and even now my mom, when I'm explaining something to her, and I want her opinion. She won't really give me her opinion. Um, she yeah. really wants me to have an experience and then learn from it. And I don't know if she's conscious of that, but that's how I was raised very much like, go try it out, experience things. If you make a mistake, then you'll know not to do it again. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I'm very grateful for that. Like, wow. I I think that's why I'm fiercely independent because yeah. of the way I was raised.
0: That's they sound very similar to my wife. I was having that conversation with her, and I mm-hmm. think I need to get. Yeah, I, I think I probably like. I'm the uh, the father of two very strong, uh, independent women. Um, I remember praying for that, and, uh, <laughs> and that came true. Um, and so, like, I think I need to get a little bit better at that. About actually, yeah. just not sort of jumping in. And that look, they're three and five, so very little. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm very sort of aware of like trying to protect them from all things that are prickly and horrible in the world when I actually need to help them and trust them and allow them to make that decision. Do you, do you have any sort of parenting advice for me on raising strong
1: kids? Oh my gosh. I'll be honest with you. I don't have children, so I am not going to try to give you any advice (laughs) because, uh, I am not brave enough to have children. <laughs>
0: well, it, 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 it's really interesting because it has definitely, um, we didn't think we'd be able to have kids for a really long time. And so it's mm-hmm. um, it, it's something which has sort of fundamentally sort of changed the way I teach, but also it's changed yes, my appreciation for my own parents because I realized that no one really knows what they're doing. Yes. Uh, but w- would you mind um maybe just taking us back a little bit to that about what your experience was obviously uh, at home your parents oh, i'm assuming didn't uh, speak english um when they um uh, emigrated to the states what was that like for you sort of did you ever feel like you were living in sort of two worlds and you were trying to figure out who you were at home who you were at school what was that process like because we we moved to australia when i was um i think i was 15 but from England, mm-hmm. And, and, mm-hmm. and I had the language, I, mm-hmm. I, I I was aware of how to, some of those sort of social interactions, but obviously, mm-hmm. I'm assuming your experience would have been very different to that. What, what was that like for you? And, and how did, how did that go for
1: you? You know, it, it's interesting. I, it is very much like that. You do feel like you live in two worlds. And, you know, like you said, my parents are were immigrants. Um, now they're citizens, but um, they. my mom still doesn't speak a whole lot of English. She understands it, and she can speak it, but she prefers to speak Spanish. Yeah. Um, and, you know, my dad obviously learned it, went to school and, and all of that. But um, growing up, I didn't understand how different people perceived me as um because everybody around me was Mexican or Mexican-American so they all looked like me and we all thought of ourselves as American um but we were bilingual um and we definitely looked different than people on TV and our teachers even um so we kind of had a sense of it I I think I started to become more aware of feeling a little bit different um as I got older and um when I started to try to assert my own identity, which was more Americanized than obviously my right. how my parents had grown up, right? And so I have very fond memories of the Mexican part of my yeah. experience, right? The the language, the the music, the shows, the uh, you know visiting the country and staying with my cousins, all of that. But then also have some things that I. D- reject from that part yeah, of my culture right so that was um an interesting experience to kind of rebel from this Mexican side of your culture but then also try to figure out what you're rebelling against in your you know and I'm doing this in quotes your American culture right yeah. um but interesting yeah it, it, it's interesting and but like i like i said i i started to feel more and more different the older i got and yeah. when i went to college which yeah. was mostly white you know um that's when i really felt it i felt super different and i felt like they didn't see me as american <laughs> and i was like but i am you yeah. know um and that was kind of a huge like yeah, time of transition and self-doubt and loss of confidence it wow. was really unsettling to kind of go oh wait a minute people don't see me the way I see myself
0: yeah you know? uh, and and I think we'll and we'll uh, I'd love to unpack that a little bit more um a little later on but that idea mm-hmm. of representation and seeing people that that look and sound and, and 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 celebrate things like you is is so incredibly important um and we mm-hmm. had a a brief conversation before we hit record, and, and I said that my um, daughters are both uh, Indian, South African, English, Australian, and the mm-hmm. only sort of, um, they don't have blonde hair, and blue eyes, and people just assume that I was born in Sydney and I grew up on the beach, and, and right. so they're sort of technically more Australian than I am, and so <laughs> because they are um, mixed race girls, it's really made me, uh, shameably for the first time, um, really. Start to um, appreciate how important representation is, and how important it is to see people in the classrooms in the school districts that, yeah. um, that, that not only look and sound like you, but also celebrate the things that you do. Um, mm-hmm. And um, obviously, your role uh, is in Chula, uh, the Chula Vista Elementary School District. Um, mm-hmm. I think I've pronounced that um, correctly, but That's is that perfectly? Me? Look at that! Is, is is that a um a particularly diverse um area? Um, and mm-hmm. what were some of those sort of the challenges that you had in your role when you? My understanding is that you were you governed that for a um, a number of years. Is that correct?
1: Yeah. So I was uh, a a a teacher there and a school administrator there for twenty four years. And sorry and... For
0: those people that um school administration oh. in our in Australia is slightly different um what does that entail um in in sort of your context
1: so do you guys call it the lead teacher
0: well we have school administrators who tend to be part of our wonderful office staff that helps support oh, okay. schools. Um, oh, okay. my understanding of your role and this could be incorrect is that it was more broadly looking at a a cluster of schools and leading a school district um is that kind mm-hmm. of what an administrator is in in america or
1: no. Well, it can I, be that. Yes, it yes. can be that. Um, so my role in Chula Vista was a school site pr- uh, principal. So I was the okay. instructional leader. Um, I, you know, handled everything. In, uh, it led the school a- in all things, uh, administration, uh, instruction and operations. It- it's pretty wow. much um, wearing many hats. My role that I have now um, in San Diego Unified is a district kind of administrator role um, where we're assisting with, um, across the district uh, with teacher uh, development. Um, But yeah, in Chula Vista, it was, I was running my own schools. um, And to answer your question about like how diverse (laughs) it (laughs) is, um, this entire region um, that I have always worked in, which is like South County, um, San Diego, um, mostly in Chula Vista is mostly Latinos, so very similar to where I grew up, actually, even though it's not in the same um, city. And um, there are lots of multilingual learners, so it's you know uh, students that are learning English as a second language. Um, Chula Vista has grown a lot, so it's, it's become more diverse. Now there's more white students, um, okay. and other ethnicities, uh, Filipino as well. Um, but when I first started out, it was mostly Latino students and, um, grappling with all the things, uh, I guess relating to those students because they are exactly, um, the where i was when i was a kid right grappling with the same types of things in school in their communities in their families um in their culture um yeah sorry (laughs) do
0: you you, um do you see a lot of your own um uh uh, the challenges that you went through that that sort of reframing of identity do you see a lot of that with the store did you see a lot of that with the students that you were teaching at that particular school did you feel like you had that ability to really understand
1: you know, it's so funny. The What I believed when I first began as yeah. an educator is so profoundly different from what came to be as I progressed through my career. And so when I began as a teacher and then as, even as a school administrator at the beginning, um, was I really believed that... We just needed to work harder at those schools. We just needed to give them more support. We just needed to... um,
0: Pour more resources.
1: Yeah, help them learn English more. All those things that I had internalized, right? Yeah. But what I started to realize as I progressed through my career and just did a lot more inner work around identity and equity and all of that is that... No, those are false assumptions. <laughs> you know. Um, in fact, like I my experience, my own experience should have informed me more, and I should have known, no, there's nothing wrong, right? And I'm putting that in quotes with the home life of these students. There's nothing deficient there that's causing these dis- yeah. dis- um these outcome disparities, right? There is instead something wrong and 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 faulty in the way we have built schools right wow. to support these students that are creating these outcome disparities and yes. so I just became super obsessed with really reimagining the way I led schools and oh, wow. and, and built the conditions for learning in a way that really, allow these students to thrive right um and so
0: wow there's so much like there is
1: (laughs) yes that is a
0: whole podcast episode in itself but (laughs) yes it is (laughs) (laughs) maybe like because i had the uh, immense privilege um in australia of working as an ealdt sorry i'll say that again eald so an english and uh, additional language or dialect teacher I had the privilege of working in a really um, diverse school community for about 10 years or so and working with a number Mm -hmm. of refugee students. And I had so many assumptions. I remember going in embarrassingly thinking, oh, I moved here as well. I know what they're going through. But, Mm -hmm. of course, that's preposterous because Mm -hmm. it's just, and I had to actually learn. And it took me probably a couple of years to learn. I actually had to keep my mouth shut Mm -hmm. and I had to learn how to empathise and listen to mm-hmm. us, community instead of assuming you mm-hmm. what they were going through. And
1: mm-hmm.
0: I learned more from listening than I did from anything I implemented in that school. And would you say mm-hmm. that was an experience that you had about the importance of building that trust and about drawing in school communities? And, and if that's the case, how important was that for you in that role uh, in that particularly diverse school?
1: Yeah. So one of the fundamental shifts that I made in my leadership is along those lines that I'm not coming in here because I have the answers and will fix this community, right? Um, the community is doing, I have to listen to um, what's going on closest to those students. I have to listen to the families. I have to listen to the students themselves to figure out what it is that we need to do to meet their needs, to help them thrive, um, and to um not limit their opportunities, right? Um And so, yeah, it takes a lot of listening. It takes a lot of um undoing a lot of these harmful, internalized ideas of my own culture, you know, yes. in the broader right. American context. Um, and all of that stuff is super, super painful to kind of realize, oh. holy smokes. <laughs> I have been perpetuating these harmful practices on the students that I most wanted to help. And it's because I've internalized them from the broader culture, you know? Um, And so I had to just do a lot of unlearning around that and more listening um, and seeing the gifts that the students and families already bring to the table and helping helping the school become respectful of that and 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 supportive of that
0: yeah I think I think that's so important I mean you you turn on the news I mean the Australian media is is is, is guilty of this as well as it's so and I'm um, assuming what I see coming from the United States as well is it's so divisive there's so yeah. much divisive rhetoric about where people have come from and um, all of this stuff and and it and and this is I'm speaking in the Australian context um, as mm-hmm. well and, and for me it's such a reminder that the that our narratives and the language that we use and the inclusivity that we show um to our students is is more important now than ever because if you turn the news on it's 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 scary stuff um and yes like how did you begin to sort of create that safe place for your students that i'm assuming um there were uh, sorry, I, I shouldn't assume, but were there issues with things like attendance and um, uh, connection with 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 home and school and families? And how did you even begin to pull all of those things together and build a that sort of thriving school community?
1: Um, so, so, yeah, the, the it's a big question.
0: It's a big question. Yeah.
1: it's a big question for sure. And the biggest thing that I well, there are two things that I did that were my priority. One was, um, I wasn't going to focus on test scores, (laughs) number one. Uh, I was like, nope, test scores, uh, you know what? No, test scores don't mean students are learning or that they're not. Um, They're not an accurate measure of what is happening in school. So I wanna listen to my teachers and my students and witness it as close to them as possible, measure it as close to the learning as possible so that I so that I can be really in tune with what my students need. So that was the first thing I was like, you know what? I'm not gonna play this rat race where I'm gonna try to get the scores up. That's just not what I'm gonna do. The second thing was uh, a, a deep focus on building relationships. So I told my staff or I really worked with my staff, on understanding that the biggest driver of motivation, the biggest driver of um, creating this place where students are respected and loved and cared for and feel safe to learn is your relationship with them. And so I kind of unshackled them, so to speak, from these pressure expectations that usually teachers are under to get the scores up. and allowed them the space to create meaningful relationships with students. And that was our priority. Um, Part of that work was a book that I talked about earlier, Dr. Bruce Perry's uh, The Boy Who Was Raised as a Dog. You know, I, the school that I'm talking about in particular, I was placed there by my superintendent because it was the lowest performing school in the district for many years. It had been so for many years. And so I, I really wanted, so it had a lot of things: um, high poverty rate, you know, uh, lots of domestic violence in the area, um, lots of drug abuse in the area, and so it was really impacting the kids. So I knew that, armed with this information and knowledge about how trauma impacts students, not that all my students had trauma, but some did. Um, it, we set about really focusing on building relationships and that had such a profound effect. I mean, it increased our attendance, <laughs> it increased, um it decreased like major behavior issues. I mean, it just, it just went way down. And, um, Our surveys from the district that they send to the uh, to the families and to the uh, upper grade students, they reported higher, higher levels of happiness at school. They felt connected to the school. And so um, everything else that I did at the school was built predicated on building these strong relationships with students in the community.
0: Wow. Once again, there's a a whole other podcast episode in that. (laughs) Yeah frantically scribbling things down but do you think the way that um do you think the way that we measure um or sorry let me rephrase that I can edit that bit okay. out um <clears throat> so how do we measure successful schools because it seems as though mm-hmm. we're relying purely on test scores I know in Australia we have a focus on English math science, Mm-hmm. if we're relying purely on that do we miss something and and what do we what do you think what are some of the other metrics which you think we should be using as well
1: so I'm actually right now writing something about this for myself but I'll share with you what it is oh, uh, outcomes huh yes exactly off the press so <laughs> it's this notion of outcomes versus conditions and so for me I really, truly believe that in education, we have never gotten it right around how to measure student learning on on a large scale. Right. Right. Anytime I think. We try to measure the 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 student learning. on a large scale, whether it be across a district or across the state, we distort the relationship between student success and um, actual learning, right? And um, I'll give you an example. So I was in a meeting the other day and we were kind of having a discussion about this. And I was trying to explain that there was a woman uh, on that team who, who said when she was a teacher, she had a student named Amir, who uh, was a refugee, new to the country, and he knew very little English. However, they worked really hard together. And during the scope of that school year, he increased like some ridiculous amount of reading levels, like three or four reading levels, but he was still below reading his grade level reading score, right? And when he took the state test, obviously he was rated very low, right? So if you extrapolate that out to a whole full, a whole school full of Amirs who have increased their reading levels like so much, however, still fail the state exam, that school will be designated as a failing school, right? Um, Because on the state test, it shows that they are failing, right? However, when you look closely at what actually happened with those students, they Amir did experience so much growth and learning. Yeah. And so we are, um, we have to be just more careful how we measure student success. And we have to, if we want to be accurate about it, we have to get as close to the students as possible. Yeah. But that can be complicated, right? Because how do you do that on a grand scale? Yeah. How do you do that? <laughs> That's the question.
0: <laughs> it's, so, um, it's so incredibly um, important and these are such uh, I think these questions have to be addressed as difficult yes. as they are to try and work out. Um, and for me it's particularly personal because my little one is about to start kindergarten and mm. so all of a sudden I feel even more involved in this than I have been previously um
1: mm-hmm.
0: but like how do we like there's a whole sort of conversation at the moment. Um, I know Professor I was talking to Professor Annie Hargraves a little while ago about well-being mm-hmm. and what we do with all of that. Mm-hmm data like how do we even begin to measure some of those other elements of what successful schools are um because you've got your test scores you've got your sort of relative assessment based on how far a particular student has grown but there's all this other data that I I wonder if you wouldn't mind speaking into that a little bit about how do we capture that and how do we use it and is it as important as the other stuff that you can put in a graph
1: hmm. So I, I actually really believe that that is the answer to that problem of how we measure student success or or how not how we measure it, but how we create schools where all students thrive. Right. Where those outcome disparities disappear. It's when you start focusing on the conditions inside the school that would breed those results. Right. So um do you mind if I just give you a little analogy, real quick? I, I would,
0: I would love that. I have got all the time in the world. Please, okay, go ahead. So,
1: um, as part of the discussion earlier, where I was having uh, talking to this person, I used this analogy that if you, if a person goes to the doctor and and the doctor says you need to lose weight because you're unhealthy, right? And this person only focuses on measuring how much weight they've lost, they can achieve that many, many ways. They can starve themselves. They can go on these crazy diets. They can overexercise, whatever, right? However, if the doctor says we're not going to measure how many pounds you've lost, we're going to measure all these other things. Maybe your blood pressure, um, how much you're decreasing, what um, alcohol you're drinking, how much water you're drinking, how much sleep you're getting. Those are the conditions that create a healthy person that as um, not an offshoot, but as a what's the word I'm looking for Um, as a consequence. Yeah, like, because all these, they're measuring all of these, um, a side effect of that is that they will likely lose weight, Yes. right? So they are accomplishing the same thing. But if you don't focus on measuring just the pounds loss, and instead you measure what makes a person uh, healthy, uh, like a well-rounded, healthy person, then the weight will go down, right? So we have to look at schools in that way. We have to measure what makes a student thrive. We have to measure those conditions, and the 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 test scores will go up. They will go up because you're measuring the right things, right? And um, yeah, yeah. I don't know if yes. I can explain it no, is- any better than that.
0: Yeah, I think this is so important, and we will have to do, we'll have to do a round two because there's just too much. There's too much in. <laughs> that. It's so um, it's so crucial that we're asking these uh, decisions, and I know um. In Australia, the, the, the challenge is that at the end of the day, our students are still sitting the same university entrance exams.
1: Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. like,
0: we are still being assessed on these very um, uh, minute aspects of the curriculum. So, your English mm-hmm. and science. And mm-hmm. so, I think this we have to have a much broader conversation about how do we, um, what do we do with all this data? And how mm-hmm. do we, like, I, I don't know, but it, it's a massive. It's a massive conversation. I think a really, Mm -hmm.
1: important. Um, I know Mm -hmm. one of the things
0: that I'm doing with my students is because I'm really passionate about catching that well-being data is I have, um, we're fortunate that each of our students have iPads. And so we have QR, I have QR codes around my classroom. And so the students Mm -hmm. at any point can check in and they can give me feedback. um, They can tell me if they think I'm being a good teacher, which if they get in trouble, they tend to school me pretty well. (laughs) Um, It's a great way to capture some of those challenging things because I always say to them, I always think I'm doing a good job with the team that I'm leading, but unless I'm actually asking them, quote, unquote, the students or the clients, if you like, how do I know? And I was um, reading a little while ago, and I I can't remember where, but it, it said that education is one of the few professions where we don't, ask the clients how they're going and what they want. And I think somewhere we've, we've, we've missed that. Like maybe student, maybe successful schools are if the students themselves feel happy and competent, Yes, but I don't remember when they were last consulted on the process.
1: Right. Exactly. Well, I mean, uh, I, I, I think that's so right on. I I think happy students learn happy students learn right? If they're happy, if they're feeling respected, if they have everything they need, if they they have the support they need, they're going to learn and it's going to show. If they don't have those things, then the learning will not take place, you know? Yeah. Um, so yeah, getting their feedback, I think is crucial.
0: It's so important. And I just wanted to take you back a little bit to when you're saying you were focused on those two things when you started at um, oh, school, yes. test scores and relationships. Um, I can only imagine how busy it would have been and how crazy it would have been to come into a school and to and to begin to start to figure out what was going on so we all we all have very teachers are very busy people school administrators are incredibly busy principals are the hardest working I believe people on the planet so how on earth did you begin to find the time and create the space to be able to focus on those relationships because was it a conversation you had to have with your superintendent to say, Hey, can you just give me some time here? Or how did you begin to find that space? Because it's so easy. I think just to keep spinning the wheels and not going anywhere.
1: So I, I think, um,
0: cause we all say we want to do that, but right, no one right. does it. Cause it's hard.
1: I, this is true. Um, I was lucky that I came to this particular school with experience under my belt. Yeah, um, I had made all my mistakes in <laughs> other schools, and I had learned a lot. And I had transitioned my mind—that internal work that I talked to you about—really um, dismantling this, this, these harmful ideas and assumptions that I had about what education is and what yeah. it means to meet the needs of students. So, free of those things. Right. I was able to see very clearly what needed to happen. I had and have a very clear understanding of what it takes to build a school um, where brown and black children can thrive. And Mm. I, to me, everything else disappeared. Nothing else mattered because I knew that I could do it and I knew I was right. And I knew I, I. I done. had to do it. I had to do it. Like now that I knew, I had to do it. And so I was I'm a little bit of not a little bit. A lot rebellious. I'm very rebellious. Um and so I was not afraid um to it, to set forth my very clear vision into action. Yeah. Um but I don't think as a new principal I would have had the knowledge or the skills or, or had, I don't think I would have had done that internal work to be able to implement all that. So,
0: yeah,
1: I don't know if that makes sense.
0: That (laughs) absolutely makes sense. And if looking back on your first six to 12 months in that Mm -hmm. role, um, is there any advice that you would give to someone that was trying to do the same thing? Or is there anything that you would do differently? Or was it your just your sheer determination to, to actually make it work that made it <laughs> successful? Or yeah, what advice would you give to someone trying to do that?
1: You know, this is the advice that I would give. And, and I did some leadership coaching last year with new and experienced principals. And this is something I saw a lot of. You have to be really sure of what your particular vision is of your leadership, what your particular vision is for what makes uh, a thriving school community. Because if you are not sure of those things, you will not be able to prioritize any of the work. You will jump from thing to thing. You will not have the courage to stand up for the things that you know are going to make a difference for your students. So my advice is get very clear about that um, do that internal work of just figuring out what is your vision of leadership? Who are you as a leader? Um, what do you think makes schools thrive or students thrive in school? So that when you get into that role, you hit the ground running and 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 you're able to really prioritize what matters. You, you seem
0: like you're somebody who is incredibly self-aware and knows what um, which is incredibly respectful, knows what they stand for, what they want. Um, Is that, I mean, you talk a little bit about your your childhood, just your sort of your brute determination in grade six to to go to college and all that. But is that something which you have continued to work on? Do you keep a journal? Do you uh, have people in your life that challenge your assumptions? Or how do you continue to develop that in yourself as a... As a okay, coach? so I
1: laughed a little bit because... I am told that all the time (laughs) that I am very self-aware.
0: Yeah. It's a, it's a really good thing. And I think that determination and that grit and I, and I speak of my my lovely wife as well. The same thing that annoys me about her is also really inspiring because she doesn't put up with any nonsense. And so Mm -hmm. like, I wonder Mm -hmm. if that's sort of the same with you where you, where you've had to develop that or you feel that, uh, yeah, I don't know. Sorry to, to cut you off. Yeah.
1: Oh no, not at all. Um, it is definitely something I continuously work on. I journal all the time. Um, I meditate. I I I have my like core group of advisors, so to speak. <laughs> uh we go to breakfast, you know, every two to three weeks and we just discuss things and and they're my confidants and and we really explore ideas together. Um
0: and are these educators or people that are outside?
1: Yes, they're educators. So um, my friend Ryan, who you've had on this podcast, um, he's now at the state level. Yeah, I love him. Um, And then my friend Sylvia, who is a school administrator, and we kind of came up together. um, And they're both like my sounding board for everything. You know, they keep me sane, um, and grounded and and really challenge me. And uh, it's wonderful. But I think you have to be a person that really loves ideas and loves complexity and nuance and um yeah and and maybe has integrity I, I don't know that sounds kind of weird but like this striving for being as true to yourself as possible
0: yeah. um yeah I, yeah. I, I think that's no, that, that's wonderful and and it seems respectfully as well that you're very much a work in progress with that that it's something which you haven't sort of attained but it's something mm-hmm. that you are attaining and just just I've um I've always tried to keep a journal I'm pretty inconsistent
1: mm-hmm. um,
0: but it is one of the things that I would love to um be a bit more consistent on this year do you use uh, I was getting down to the granular here do you are yeah. you a pen and paper person do you have questions that you ask yourself each day do you just is it a flow of consciousness or what does that process look like for you is it a morning evening yeah
1: you know I I um, I tried to keep like a daily morning practice, you know, with it's questions like and diamonds,
0: isn't it? like everyone's doing it It's like everyone's that morning routine. And oh, yeah. Yeah.
1: I, 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 yeah. <laughs> I, I tried that. It didn't quite work for me. I tried doing like gratitude journaling. Yeah. Um, so I've changed it kind of, it, it, it evolves with, I guess where I am in my life at that particular time. Um, but I've been journaling since I was a teenager. Um, and so I have stacks of like three ring binders and, and like a spiral notebooks with my scribblings of when I was, you know, a kid, (laughs) (laughs) but, um, uh,
0: do you ever go back and look at them and think, oh my gosh, or is it as exciting to see how far you've come or yeah.
1: Yeah, my, my, my husband actually was cleaning out the garage and unearthed a couple of them. Yeah. And uh, so I, I flipped through them and I was like, wow, look at who I was when I was 14. Look at that. You know, some things are very similar and then some things are so different. You know, it's it's kind of fun. It's kind of fun. Uh,
0: yeah, absolutely. And I, um I, I use an app called Day One. um, And so it's a computer oh. app. Um, I I'm so far I'm on it. I think it's the 16th. Is it now? Yes, the 16th of yeah. January. Where I am, and so I'm on a 16 day streak of doing it every day, wow. which I'm excited about. Um, and I've also got another journal within that, which is um, letters or sort of writings to my daughters that I want them to. Oh, I love read. that. Um, and so I, I'm I'm trying to get better at that. So thank you for oh. your.
1: that's wonderful thank you
0: for your advice and before we start talking about transitions which I know you're in a very different um uh, position um than you were at that school at the moment um Mm -hmm. is there something that you are currently working on professionally that you would like to um get better at um is there a skill which you're trying to refine at the moment or what is that process of kind of Mm. self-development reflection look like
1: currently so, oh man. Yeah. I'm always working on new skills. One of the things I'm currently trying to do, have you done the Clifton Strengths Finder by any chance? It's
0: funny you mentioned that. I, I feel like my wife is really into like that sort of strength finder stuff. And so whenever we're yeah. on a car trip, she's always asking me these very probing questions.
1: <laughs> I and love it.
0: Probably put me on it. Um, yeah. But I don't think I've willingly participated No.
1: <laughs> oh my gosh you should totally do it I think you would okay. love it so what
0: are what are some of so, your strengths and areas to work on according to that
1: so the I've chosen my areas to work on based on um the areas that did not show up on my strengths <laughs> so okay. huh
0: right that's interesting yeah
1: yeah so like my, my strengths are all around like strategic thinking. So I'm a very internal processor, ideator, like I'm in my head a lot and I require a lot of thinking time and kind of playing with ideas. What I am not great at, or what is not my strengths, I should say, is peopling. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm good one-on-one or with a small group, but like to kind of impact more and more people um, and really have uh, like an effect on their practice requires just a different set of skills that I'm still developing. Um, And part of that also is just bringing these ideas into a cohesive story that I can share with people. Um, That's a skill that I'm really eager to practice and and get better at, um, because I think it's so important to to where I am now, like I started with impacting students in the classroom, then I went into being a school principal where I impacted an entire school. Now I'm on a team and at the district level. And so if I want to really impact um, schooling for students that I that are like bl- black and brown students, if I'm being honest, you know, the students that are most disenfranchised, um, then I need to get better at yeah, I guess probing and pushing people's thinking.
0: Interesting, and and that was a, a huge thing for me once I stepped more into a leadership role. Was um, you, you can't do it all; like you mm-hmm. just cannot do it all. And so mm-hmm. that ability to set expectations and lead through people and build that trust um, mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. Um, something which, yeah, I, I have I definitely found challenging in that in that sort of transition from classroom to more of a leadership role, but. Um, speaking of transitions you're mm-hmm. currently um in a very different role um would you mind maybe talking a little bit about that and um also has that been easy or difficult do you do you miss the classroom um yeah what's what's that transition like been like for you
1: <laughs> so um you know i left being a principal about 2 years ago um now maybe 3 years ago now and I'll be honest with you. The day I had to tell my boss that I was stepping down, I cried. I cried on the phone with him. It was very painful. Um, even though I knew it was time, you know, I was just so burnt out. And just I, I knew in my heart that if I couldn't be at the level that I wanted to be in that role, that I needed to move on. Right. Um, and so I, I took a, a year off and really did a lot of reflecting. I was taking care of my parents who are elderly and really just figuring out, like, what I was going to do, you know, because at that point, I thought I was going to leave education altogether. And um, what came out of that was. I realized that I just had stopped being in the right place, meaning I had outgrown my organization, and so I had stopped growing. And for me, it's extremely important to continue growing. And so um armed with that information, I kind of sought out my new yeah. role, right? right. Um, and so being in a new role, um, I think I kind of lost your question there so a little bit now. I feel like I, I forgot no, no, what your original question that, was. That's, <laughs> that's
0: really important. And I think that I, I'm really interested in that that transition. And I don't know, for me, um, I, I can't say I'm at that point. Um,
1: mm-hmm.
0: But what I can say is so much of who I am and what I do is wrapped up in teaching and for me even just to move from a classroom-based position mm-hmm. to a leadership position was really hard I kind of felt mm-hmm. like a bit of a, a fraud to be honest because I mm-hmm. felt like I was losing my like core yes
1: history.
0: um but that must have been an immensely uh a difficult conversation to have um did you feel and I'm not saying you did in any way but did you feel like you had Failed in some way? Did you think you would be in a, a school administrator and, and school principal for the rest of your life? Did you, how did you even begin to process that? Because that is incredibly difficult. I don't think you did. Yeah. That I think it's, it's, <laughs> yeah, it must, I mean, that must have crossed your mind. Like, am I is all, is all this, yeah. How, what was that process like?
1: So, you know, I always knew I was not going to be a, a principal for the rest of my life. It's simply too hard of a job. And I knew for me, I couldn't do it, (laughs) you know? Um, even though it was a, it's still the job that I loved the most. It's still the job that had my heart and my soul and everything. Um, but it it was just too hard for me to sustain. Um, and like I said, I think I had just gotten stuck in a place where I was no longer growing. And, um, So I felt like I was kind of going through the motions, you know, at the last part of it. And and I didn't like that. You know, I wanted to be fully present for my teachers, fully present for my students. Um, So, yeah, I when I left, I did feel like I was abandoning something like my core self. And I was lost about, well, what now? What am I going to do? You know, Um, and I just could not imagine not being on a school site to the point where I really thought I was gonna leave education because I couldn't imagine doing anything that was not directly related to a school site. And what I just, I realized, no, no, I have to stretch myself. I still have this burning passion for students and shaping school environments and developing teachers. Like, let's see what else is out there. And I started looking, I found other roles and, um. I'm really happy, you know, I'm really happy contributing in this new way now because it's stretching me in a different direction. And it allows me to be a support for school principals, you know, who I adore and love. And also, I'm still supporting teachers as well. So it's feeding my soul. It's just really Building different m- muscle groups, so to speak,
0: <laughs> and the impact is is obviously very different and much broader. You may not necessarily have the depth that you would have had while you were on class with twenty five or thirty kids, which I really struggled with that adjustment. Mm-hmm. But what you do is you have much more of a broader impact on a greater number of schools and mm-hmm. schools. And um, do you are you less stressed was being a principal? as hard as they say.
1: Um, oh my gosh. Yes.
0: I, I did it's... an interview with a, a gentleman called Dr. Adam Fraser. Um, mm-hmm. uh, I'll send you the link to the podcast and he is not a teacher. He's a, um, uh, he works very closely with schools and he said out of all of the jobs, he said being, they, they are convinced he owns a research center. They they're convinced that being a school principal is the most difficult job on the planet. Um, would you, would you agree?
1: A hundred percent. 100 yeah. percent. it is a yeah. wonderful job yeah but nobody will understand un- until they do it how hard it is yeah how it, it's an it's an impossible job yeah. <laughs> honestly
0: <laughs> yeah and it's 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 so necessary and i think so underappreciated um and and my wonderful principal is phenomenal and i've never seen her Fall apart. I don't know if she's just stupid. Uh, um, but anyway, she's. I could, yeah,
1: she's. I she's, love principles. Yeah. I do. I, I, I it, it's funny that people are so hard on principles. They're, they're, they're just, they give them such a hard time. And, and I understand that. It's human nature. I get that, you know. Um, but when I see a principal doing a great job, just somebody that excels in that job that's so hard to do. Oh my gosh! It's like watching—I don't know—a miracle happen. It's, it's beautiful.
0: It's, oh, it's absolute magic. And yeah, um, is there a is there a problem that you're currently trying to solve in your role? In your sort of more broadly, what questions are you asking um, with either your research or your work? Are you trying to resolve?
1: So for me, you know, I my number one mission is. Uh, equity work in schools and more specifically racial equity work. I think um although I am very much like committed to and kind of nerdy about processes and systems and structures and leadership work and building capacity because all those things are just so fundamental to being a good principal um, I want to make sure that principals are developing those skills, but that the thing that is underpinning everything they do is um, a racial equity lens. Because I think if we are not engaging in those deep questions around that and trying to dismantle uh, the very harmful practices in, in our school, in our schools, um, then it doesn't matter what our instructional focus is. It doesn't matter what PD we're bringing to our teachers to uh, you know, make them better reading teachers. Um, it, it, all of those things won't matter unless you are also uh, working on racial equity in your schools and dismantling everything you've learned um, and internalized around that that's impacting your students. So So. that's where I am currently. That's like my passion. Uh, Anybody that works with me, um, they know that's my passion. That's all I talk about. (laughs) And I simply definitely
0: see it on the video. Like you are,
1: (laughs) yeah. I get worked up. Yeah, I start talking with my hands. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. it's it's something I'm I'm super passionate about. Something that um, I really see. a a willingness and so many principals to take that on. Um, You know, last year I I coached uh, a cohort of like 10 principals through that, identifying a problem of practice that was equity centered and really challenging them to start looking at the places in their schools where they are, uh, where they have created policies or practices that are actually harming their black and Brown students. Right. Um, And helping them to see that and dismantle that um, so that, yeah you know they're building those thriving schools yeah
0: can I ask maybe a a, 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 this is like therapy for me at the moment (laughs) as as a white middle class male Mm -hmm. how do I begin to have those conversations with my students Um, because I don't want to say the wrong thing I don't Mm -hmm. want to offend or insult so yeah how do I how do I begin to have those conversations with the kids that I work with around equity and and those sorts of things
1: So you know what I would say and I would say this to everybody because everybody has internalized these things everybody right every single person I did everybody right and so we all have to go through this process of dismantling that in our own minds so I would say just doing what's called identity work where you're becoming aware of like how your particular race and status and your gender positions you uh in society right um and becoming more aware of how um your students who are from different backgrounds how their race and their positionality puts them or positions them in in society right and how that can be how can you how you can kind of examine those things i think The most important thing is to start with your own belief systems. But the second thing, um, there's this book called Unconscious Bias in Schools by uh, Tracy Benson that I love. It's a very clear, I call it meat and potatoes um, because it's just like real strategies for how to have those conversations about unconscious bias in schools. It's so good. Um, I would say read that because it gives you structures for how to have those conversations, you know, because he says, everybody's afraid they're going to make a mistake and guess what? You probably will, but that shouldn't stop you from trying.
0: I think that is um, yeah, really, really, really important. And I, I was uh, recently doing an, an interview with a um, Pacific Islander um, uh, professor in the University of Sydney uh, called Joji mm-hmm. uh, Ravulo. And he was talking about the importance of, lived experience and just taking the time to just listen and yeah. just ask people about what their experience has been and not assume. Um and I think that ability to actively listen, I mean this is not just marriage advice. I think it's really important to <laughs> take the time and, and, and listen. And and I know mm-hmm. I'm I'm sort of guilty of when I'm having a conversation thinking about the next thing that I need to say to try and keep yeah. that moving as opposed yeah. to just listening. And so yeah. that's definitely uh, going to be added to my uh holiday reading list. So I, I, Yay! I,
1: I it's I, a great I mean, one. The more
0: people though that are willing to have these conversations. I mean the, the I mean these conversations need to be had. We can either not have them or have them and get better at having them, you know? Like we yes. need to be had and they need to be talked about. And Yes. I I want to be um respectful of your time. So I just had a couple more questions. Okay. So imagine <laughs> We were sitting down, having a coffee, um, and I was about to um, enter the classroom for the first time.
1: Okay.
0: What advice, uh, and it, this could be advice around equity, it could be advice around teaching, but what advice would you give me as a new graduate who is about to enter the the workforce?
1: Mm. You know... Um... I think maybe this is yeah this is what I'm going to say. <laughs> what I what I would say is find the right place for you to develop as a professional um a place that aligns with your beliefs with your priorities um don't be afraid to say You know, this is not the right leader for me, or this is not the right school for me, or this is not the right system for me, Um, because being a teacher, being an educator, is such a personal and difficult. It's it's such a personal, um, it's such personal work. You bring so much of yourself, your heart and soul, into it. Um, that if you are not being developed and and nurtured um, and supported, then you need to go somewhere else where you will thrive and where you will be supported and nurtured and where you will will grow and where you will be in alignment with that leader. That's what my advice is. Probably not the, yeah, (laughs) anyway.
0: (laughs) That's really great. And as a Someone who's about to step into a school leadership role, who's excited, Mm -hmm. they want to turn a school around, they just want to get in there, get it done, they're passionate, what advice would you give? Or what advice would you have given to yourself when you embarked on that? Oof,
1: oof, oof. Let me see. Oh, you know what? Uh, the advice I would have given to myself is just be, learn, a find a way that you can be more of yourself in your leadership role because people, you will have deeper connections with your teachers that way and your community. When I started, I was so insecure and I thought I had to be like You know, and that's totally not me. I'm not a stuffy person. (laughs) And I felt I had to do that. You know, I wore these high heels and I, 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 I was a completely different person than who I am, who I really am. And so I would just say, try to be as authentic as possible. Even if you're afraid, just go out on a limb, be vulnerable, be yourself. People will connect with you faster. And that's the key to being successful in a leadership role you yeah. know, that authentic connection.
0: I think that's so important. And I, 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 I did that. Like I, I looked like someone who I thought should be in a leadership role, yes. you know,
1: and yes. so I had
0: like, like and, and I just realized like I wasn't fooling anyone.
1: Mm-hmm. Like
0: I really, like I was sort of in, at least in my first six months in the role, like I was desperately trying to keep up this illusion of having it together. But I mean, mm-hmm. it, was, it, I was doing a terrible job of keeping that up. <laughs> um so where can people find out more about the work that you're doing um and i'll add all of these resources in our show notes so people can reach out and get in touch but but what would be the best place to to follow your work
1: so um i have a website it's santos-gonzalez.com and they can go there to see what i'm working on Um, but I spend my time on LinkedIn. I I don't do a lot of social media just because it's not good for my mental health, you know? So I'm, I I don't really stick around on Facebook. I I lurk on TikTok, but I don't even have an account that has a name. It's like a string of numbers, you know? Yeah. Um, Yeah. But yeah, if they can connect with me on LinkedIn and uh, my name there is Santos Gonzalez Verrado. Yeah. So I would love to uh, connect with people, find out what people are doing in their schools. Um, and if people have questions for me or anything, they can just message me and I'd be happy to connect.
0: Yeah, I think we you could do an Australian road trip. That'd be nice. You and that would Ryan, be
1: amazing.
0: You and Ryan could come down under and travel around. <laughs> that be would nice. be great. Fantastic. <laughs> I'm so um, grateful that you take the time uh, to speak to me um, uh, all the way from the. United States and really um, a huge fan of your work. And yeah, thank you for your honesty um, and also for the passion and commitment that you bring to our wonderful profession. So yeah, hugely grateful that you talked to me today.
1: Well, thank you so much for having me on here and letting me talk about the things I feel passionate about um, and letting me get to know you a little bit better. I I really enjoy your podcast and I love um, all the voices that you're Uh, putting out there and and bringing um, recognition to. So thank you so much.
0: Thank you. I hope you enjoy the rest of your day.
1: You too.